Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 15. This is going to be our last sermon on Mark. We've, we've gone through close to 40 messages in the book of Mark this year. We started it at the beginning of the year. At Easter time, we, we covered chapter 16 and Palm Sunday, we covered chapter 11, fitting for the season. And so we're going to, Lord willing, wrap up with Mark chapter 15 today, looking at the the death of Christ, the suffering and the death of Christ. And next week in November, we're going to start uh, 1 Thessalonians. Uh, it's a great book for the, for the month of November. There's a theme of thanksgiving throughout the book of Thessalonians. And there's a, there's a focus on the return of Christ, uh, which will help prepare us for Advent as we anticipate and prepare our hearts, re- remembering the first advent of Christ and, and also looking forward to the second advent. So, Mark chapter 15, and let me just start with this question. Have you ever wondered why Christianity, why Christians throughout history have selected the symbol of the cross for Christianity? I mean, perhaps there's a, there's some other symbols that could have been chosen, like a cradle, which would imply the incarnation of Christ, or maybe a workbench, you know, which would uh, point to the, the honorable aspect of manual labor. Jesus was a carpenter, you know, he worked with his hands. And there's a number of other symbols that could have been selected, but throughout history, Christians have chosen to identify Christianity with the cross which historically was a sign of like crucifixion, death. Historically, it probably had a very negative connotation to it, okay? But Christianity throughout history has rightly associated itself with the cross because the cross of Jesus Christ is central to what we believe and it's central to how we view the world. It speaks to what was what has been wrong with the world and what God has done to make things right. And here at City Church, we are committed to being people who are centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ, centered on the cross, centered on the person and the work, the finished work of Jesus Christ. We're committed to that. And we have four gospels, four uh, um, accounts in, in, the, in the New Testament of, of explaining the story of the gospel, the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what he came to do to bring us eternal salvation. And so this morning we're going to look at Mark chapter 15, and I've titled this message, Christ Crucified. Christ crucified. Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 1. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, 
You have said so. And the chief priest accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer. So Pilate was amazed. Now as at the feast, he used, he used to release, now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have, have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. Having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, as we look at the story of rescue and redemption for us and all of the world who who believe and receive what Christ has done. Would you open our eyes, God, to see how amazing this story is, to see how good and great and wise you are, unfolding your plan of salvation right before our eyes. And would you ignite in us hope and joy and passion to live for the glory of the name of Jesus. May the, the cross and what was accomplished there shape our lives. Shape us more like Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So here's our big idea this morning, namely that Jesus gave his life as a ransom for us through enduring unjust punishment and death. Jesus gave his life as a ransom for us through enduring unjust punishment and death. And in this message, I'd like to look at what happened to Jesus in his suffering, in his death, in his burial resurrection and also want to salt in throughout this message why did this happen i i said last week to ponder and reflect on the meaning of the suffering and the death of the son of god spend some time pondering that because many people know that there was this man historically named jesus who died but why did he die what was the purpose what did he accomplish and what does that mean for us who believe that he is the son of God, that he is the Messiah, that he died for us. What does that mean? What are the, the massive implications 
for the suffering and the death of the Son of God. Because the New Testament writers give a lot of ink to explaining that. And throughout the Gospels, we have statements that Jesus himself made explaining what his sufferings and death mean. We'll look at a couple of those in just a moment. And then, at, Lord willing, at the end, we'll look at how are we to respond to what Jesus has done for us and why he's done what he's did, what it means. We're going to look at how do we respond? What's an appropriate response for you and I who get it, who get the message of the gospel? Okay. And so first, let's look at some of the statements that Jesus has made throughout the gospel of Mark. Three times in the gospel of Mark, Jesus has explicitly predicted his death. He said that this was going to happen. Now, it's interesting because it didn't seem to register with the disciples for a long period of time. They, they were struggling to grasp uh, that, that Jesus, the Messiah, would suffer and would die. I mean, we, we looked at last week how, how even up to the last moments of Jesus' arrest, Peter's ready to fight. He's ready to fight with the sword and, and try to take things into his own hands. And we, we talked about how the, the nature of the kingdom is so often misunderstood. Jesus said, if my kingdom was of this world, my servants would fight, but my kingdom's not of this world. And so we looked at that. And Jesus told them, he gave his disciples a heads up. He said in, in Mark 8, 31, he said, he began to teach that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Jesus is telling them the gospel, explaining to them what would happen to him. Mark nine thirty one: the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. And they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. We looked at last week how, how it wasn't merely the, the Jews or the Romans or even Judas's evil acts that brought about the murder of the Son of God. It was God's purpose and God's plan and ultimately God's doing so that salvation might come to you and I who believe. And what a profound thought that God can sovereignly and wisely and lovingly use the evil acts of unjust evil acts of men to bring good to us and to the world. Amen. Amen. And so Jesus predicted again in Mark chapter 10, 33, we uh, see we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. And last week, we looked at how Jesus was arrested and betrayed. How he was arrested, betrayed, and condemned so that you and I might be forgiven, accepted, justified and with him forevermore that you and i might be ransomed and redeemed this is as we said throughout this series the key verse in the book of mark is mark 10 45 and it summarizes what the book of mark is about 
For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. All throughout the book of Mark, we see Jesus in action. It's power packed with action. Jesus is doing stuff and he's doing good. He's going about doing good. He's healing the sick. He's opening blind eyes. He's delivering those who are demonically oppressed. He's confronting injustice in the religious world. And confronting hypocrites and those who've hurt others with the religious hypocrisy. And he goes about doing good. He uses his mighty strength, his supernatural power to do good, to serve people throughout his entire life. This was a life well lived. He teaches us how to live and he teaches us how to die well. You see, he gave his life. It wasn't, it, he wasn't caught off guard when he was killed and arrested and mocked and beaten. He, he predicted that it would happen. He knew that it would happen. And this is, this was how he would give his life as a ransom for us. Now first let's look at in Mark 15 how Jesus humbly and patiently faced injustice. This was the greatest act of injustice I can ever think of throughout history. The one person who deserved to be treated with all dignity, honor, and goodness got shame and ridicule and condemnation. And yet he faced it humbly and he faced it patiently. When Pilate said, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer. So that Pilate was amazed. Now here, here was a man who was a gifted speaker, a gifted preacher. Jesus, the son of God, the son of man. Who can, who could debate with the, the most skilled, uh, lawyers and, and, uh, scribes, religious leaders of his day who, who stumped the best of the best debaters who came trying to trap him. No doubt he could have took up his case and he could have skillfully won his case as the greatest advocate, the greatest defense lawyer of all times. And by the way, you and I get him as our defense lawyer, our advocate. 1 John 2, 2 tells us. And he could have done that. He could have did that for us. But he chose not to. He chose to humbly and patiently take it because this was a part of his lot for us. This was a part of the cup that he would drink on our behalf. He fulfilled Isaiah 53, which gives one of the most detailed prophecies of the the sufferings of the messiah the suffering servant in isaiah 53 verse 7 he was oppressed and he was afflicted yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that was led to the slaughter like a sheep before its shears is silent so he opened not his mouth Jesus could have attacked. He could have brought judgment. He could have reviled back. Perhaps he was even tempted to. Perhaps there was, there was a, a, a temptation. We don't know that for sure. We know that, that he was wrestling in the garden beforehand. 
And, and the battle was won. He said, not my will, but yours be done. He surrendered to the Father. And so he went through with it. Peter picks up on this and he says, uh, writing to a persecuted church that was suffering. He said, for what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. But if you do good and suffer for it, you and, and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that he might, so that you might follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him. Who judges justly. Jesus suffered in the way that he did to be our example. To be our example of how to face pain prayerfully. How to face pain doing the right thing. Because when we're under pain and under pressure. That's when we're tempted most to look to unrighteous and ungodly means of relief. But Jesus didn't give into it. He didn't attack back. He didn't revile back. He didn't open his mouth, though I'm sure he had the right answers and the right things to say. He also didn't want to cast his pearls before swine. He didn't want to waste his words and waste his energy. He had been up all night. Everything about this trial was unjust and unrighteous. That, the, that these guys were doing to him, they were violating their own law. The Jewish people were violating their own law. And Jesus took it, entrusting himself to him who judges justly. We're instructed in the New Testament to repay no evil for evil. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans 12, 21. This is how we fight our battles. We do good to, to others. We pray for those who spitefully use us. We bless those who curse us. We don't retaliate as we looked at last week that Jesus demonstrated that his kingdom had a nonviolent nature to it. And next we see here him before Pilate. And we see Pilate's vacillations. We see a political leader who's torn, who wants to please the crowd, but he doesn't want to take on the guilt of having an innocent man killed. And so he, he asked, he says, as they, they, they cried out, crucify him. He said, why? What evil has he done? And they shouted all the more, crucify him. The pressure was on. One of the other gospels uh, says something along the lines of, if you were uh, he who, um, he, you're no friend of Rome if you, if you don't uh, take action, basically. And so they put the political pressure on him. And so it says, Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And he had Jesus scourged and delivered him to be crucified. Theologian John Stott points out a few observations about Pilate's vacillations here. He said, Pilate 
tried to shift the responsibility to someone else, Herod. Send them to Herod. But Herod didn't find any, any fault in them. All right? Then he, he tried to do the right thing, release Jesus, but for the wrong reason. Because of Passover custom, freeing Jesus as an act of clemency or mercy instead of an act of justice, doing what's right. Pilate tried to satisfy the crowd with half measures, having Jesus flogged instead of crucified. And he tried to persuade the crowd of his integrity by washing his hands, even while contradicting it, sending Jesus to the cross. He had to choose between Caesar or Christ. Either Caesar is his Lord or Christ is his Lord. And every one of us have that same decision that we have to make. Are we going to give in to the cultural pressures, the peer pressures, political pressures to tone down our Jesus stuff? Or are we going to confess Jesus even at the cost of disfavor with people and society, a society that rejects God and hates God? And so we see injustice done. We see a criminal, a murderer Who's released instead of a righteous man. I mean how twisted and how perverted. Is this. How unjust unjust is this. And so they released him. Pilate wishing to satisfy the crowd. Released for them Barabbas. Having scourged Jesus. Now it's interesting because. Throughout history the church has pointed to this as kind of a picture of us. Us who deserve the death penalty like Barabbas did. But we get freed because Jesus has taken our place. It seems wrong. It seems scandalous. It doesn't seem right that somebody else takes our place when we deserve death. Romans 6.23 But this was the gospel that Jesus died in our place, the just for the unjust. He made an offering for sin once and for all. And let us go on and read about his being mocked and beaten and reviled and crucified. They used abusive language. That's what reviling is, using abusive language. And the soldiers led him, led him away inside the palace. That is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak, twisting together a crown of thorns. They put it on him. And they began to salute him. Hail, king of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him. And kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak. They put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. Verse 26. And the inscription of the charge against him read the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads, saying, Ah, 
you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself. Come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and scribes mocked him to one another, saying, he saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. In essence, they're saying, doctor, take your own medicine. Heal yourself. You saved others and you can't even save yourself. And so in this moment, Jesus was meekly and humbly, though he could have called thousands of angels to fight for him, and though he could have gotten off the cross, he chose to embrace it, even in the face of this mocking. He didn't revile in return. He was silent. He suffered well. He suffered in a godly way. You and I, when we're going through suffering too, perhaps we're tempted to say things that we ought not. Sometimes one of the most godly things we can do is just hold our tongues and trust God, talk to God about it instead of striking back with our words. And then we see in verse 33, when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry. And he breathed his last. And so here we see in this moment for three hours, we see darkness come over the land. Theologian Andreas Katzenberger says that in the Old Testament, darkness could represent a situation of human ignorance and sin, divine lament, or divine judgment. Here, it likely communicates all three senses. Jesus was bearing God's judgment for the sin of the world. Yet the tragic death of an innocent man should, re yet, yet the tragic death of an innocent man should result in sorrow and lament. And so, perhaps this was a, a, a sign for those who are watching, perhaps the, the Romans saw this and thought, wow, what is going on? What is going on? Lots of people have died and, and nothing like this has happened before. But this was a unique death. It wasn't just some random person dying. This was a unique death. By the way, the scripture says the death of the Lord is precious in the sight of the Lord. The death of the saints is precious in the sight of the Lord. All right? And so here's Jesus, the ultimate godly person who ever walked the earth, dying, bearing our sin, bearing the weight of the world upon him. And darkness came over. Jesus endured those hours of darkness 
so that you and I might be delivered from eternal darkness. I don't know if you've ever been in a dark room, in a dark place, physically for a long period of time. It's one of the worst forms of uh, punishment in many prisons, solitary confinement, being by yourself. But you add to that darkness, alone and dark, it's a part of what hell is like, eternal punishment is like. And Jesus was walking through this torment for you and I in our place so that we don't have to experience that. So that we might be delivered from the power of darkness ruling over our lives for all eternity. Today, many people are celebrating that darkness. And we want to shine as bright lights in the midst of it. Because the world is dark and evil and sinful. But it is our opportunity in this hour to be the light of the world. To shine bright. To let our light shine before men. That they may see our good works and glorify the Father in heaven. As I think about this, I'm reminded of one of the purpose statements that Paul made about Jesus giving himself for us in Galatians 1 verse 4. It says that, that he gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Jesus gave himself to deliver us for our sins, to deliver us from the evil one, deliver us from the evil age, to deliver us from having Sin and Satan and demonic forces control our lives and dominate our lives. He ransomed us. He's redeemed us. We see that he cries out in this moment of darkness and pain. And this is probably one of the most painful aspects I can imagine. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting Psalm 22, referencing Psalm 22 where the psalmist alludes to God forsaking him. And Jesus is fulfilling this prophecy of Psalm 22, Isaiah 53. And he experienced these moments and hours of feeling forsaken by the Father so that you and I will never be forsaken. So that you and I will be with him forever and never be abandoned. But experience his embrace, his acceptance, and his presence for all eternity. That's the best thing about heaven, isn't it? The fact that we get God, we get to be with him forever in his presence where there's fullness of joy. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of other amazing things. In heaven to enjoy throughout eternity. In the new heavens. In the new earth. But the best is the presence of the Lord. Is God himself. And Jesus experienced this temporary. Forsaking. This, this, this painful. Dark. Difficult moment. So that you and I. Will not have to experience that for eternity. And perhaps you felt like in this life, perhaps you've had moments and hours and days where you felt forsaken by God. Where you felt like, God, where are you? Do you even care? Why is this happening to me? It doesn't make sense. 
Well, Jesus' suffering helps give meaning to our suffering. It helps us understand. And it helps give comfort. And it helps give healing. And it helps give us hope that it's not gonna, it's not gonna be like this forever. The world is broken. There is something significantly wrong and flawed with the world as we see it. And the cross speaks to that. The cross affirms that. The cross is the answer to that. And so if you've felt like you've been forsaken, you've had those moments of, God, where are you? Perhaps during this last year and a half, during the pandemic, you had moments like that. God, where are you? Why have you forsaken us? Why are we walking through this? Know that God is good. Know that God is sovereign. And know that he has promised that he will never leave you and never forsake you. And Jesus has made that possible because of what he's went through for us. We also see here in verse 38, we see that when Jesus died, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This was significant. Surely this was a sign to the Jews. The darkness was surely a sign to the Romans. Like, what's going on? This is crazy. Darkness come over the land. It was a miraculous darkness. But then something really interesting happened in the temple, in the most sacred place in the temple, the Holy of Holies, the, the veil that separated the holy presence of God and sinful man. And no one could go into that place. Okay? Once a year, priests were allowed to, to go in on Yom, Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement, and they would make a sacrifice, go into the holy places. But here we see that veil is torn in two, symbolizing that you and I now have access to the presence of God, to the holiest place. Symbolizing that we're going to be with him. Peter, in 1 Peter 3.18 said that, For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. So why did Jesus die? What's the meaning of what's happening here? Jesus died to make an atonement for our sins. He died in our place. He gave his life as a ransom for many. He is that lamb that was sacrificed at Passover. The spotless lamb. He was that sacrifice made. The atoning sacrifice made for sin once and for all. And so... The Jewish people aren't to offer up those animal sacrifices anymore. That's what part of what the book of Hebrews emphasizes throughout the entire book. Jesus is better. All those, those sacrifices were a shadow. They were pointing to Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, the once and for all sacrifice. He made an atonement for our sin. He absorbed the wrath of God and the judgment of God for sin that we deserve in our place. He took it and he died to bring us to God. Hebrews 10 picks up on this. It says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holiest places by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, since we have a 
a great high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We have been granted access to the greatest person in the entire universe. We have been granted access to the kindest and most loving person in the entire universe. Through Jesus' sacrifice, we have been granted access to the wealthiest person in the entire universe, the most powerful person in the entire universe, the wisest person in the entire universe. And so we can go there and find grace. We can go there much and find grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. Jesus has offered the ultimate sacrifice for us. And so let us utilize, let us, let us use that access to approach God in prayer, to commune with God, to, to talk to Him, to be with Him and enjoy His presence, but also ask Him for the things that we need and thank Him for what He does graciously give to us. We have access. This is, this is a part of what it means that Jesus died for us and the, the veil was torn from top to bottom. We can, we can go in now and enter in and draw near. Be cleansed. Have our conscience cleansed. Have our sins forgiven. We can enter in and experience all the goodness and all the grace that God intends for us. We can be the people who God has called us to be and do what he's called us to do. Because all the brokenness and all that's wrong with the world and all that's wrong with us, Jesus addressed it at the cross. The righteous for the unrighteous. He died in our place to bring us to God. Notice this, that after Jesus died, there's this centurion man, this Roman soldier he stood facing him and, and he saw the way he breathed his last. And he said, truly this man was the son of God. This must have been a powerful moment. I'm sure this, this soldier had seen a number of people breathe their last breath. But there's something different about this guy. And there's something different about what's going on right now. The darkness over the land. I mean, this just, this is wild. And so he says, truly, this man was the son of God. Here's, here's a confession from a Gentile, which is, it points to the reality, too, that the gospel is not just for the Jews, but it's for the Greeks and the Gentiles as well, Jew and Gentile. Jesus died for us all to redeem us and bring us to himself. And now Jew and Gentile can enter in. And access the holy presence of God. And know God. Know the one true God. Because of the son of God who came down. And showed us what God was like. Who lived an example of godliness before our eyes. Who died in our place. Who showed amazing grace. We see in verse 40. We see the women Looking from a distance, there was also women looking from a distance among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and, 
uh, the younger and, and of, um, of Joseph and Salome, when he, when he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And they were also, they were also, there were also many other women who came with him to Jerusalem. Verse 47, and Mary Magdalene and the mother of Jesus, mother of jo- Joseph said, uh, saw where he, he was laid. Now, I think it's important here. Luke does this a lot in his gospel and in the book of Acts. Is he, he highlights the, 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 the women being around and involved in the ministry. He elevates in a, in a culture, in a day where the witness of a woman was not credible. The gospel writers are, are saying, here were some women who got to see Jesus first. The end here. Got to go tell the disciples who get this honorable place of witnessing the, the resurrected Christ. And so we see Jesus doing this with those who were marginalized in his day. Children, women, those who were outcasts. We see Jesus showing dignity, showing honor. Showing love. And so here, here are some women who they followed Jesus and they ministered to him. They ministered to him. What a, what a beautiful thing. And here at City Church, we want to be honoring as well to women and honor and provide space for women in ministry because all of us are called to be ministers of the gospel. We're called to minister to the Lord and minister to others serve that's what Jesus came to do and we're all called to do that amen and lastly we see that Jesus was buried verse 42 and when evening had come since it was the day of preparation that is the day before the Sabbath Joseph of Arimathea a respected member of the council who is also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph brought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in the tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Joseph, saw that he was laid, where, where he was laid. This is the gospel that Jesus suffered and died, was buried that he was raised from the dead for us in our place to display God's love for us. Romans 5, 8. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he got what we deserve. We're guilty. It wasn't just Pilate and Judas, Peter for denying him. It's the rest of the disciples for abandoning him. The Romans, the Jews, we're guilty. We've contributed. 
to the reason for why Jesus died. It was necessary for him to die. It was necessary for him to suffer, to die, to be rejected, to be buried, and to rise again on the third day. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4, he said, For I passed on to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. This is gospel content. This is what happened. This is what happened. This is the what of the gospel. And I've tried to explain some, the why of the gospel. What does it mean? Why did he do this? Let us continue to explore that question and saturate ourselves with the message of the gospel. John Stott said this about the burial of Jesus. He said the burial of Jesus is a part of the gospel because it affirms both the reality of his death and the bodily nature of his resurrection. It affirms the reality of his death. He really did die. It wasn't just an illusion. He didn't just play a magic trick on everybody like, oh, I'm really not dead. I'm here. Hey, guys. Like he really died. And he was dead for three days. Laid in the tomb for three days. And he really got up out of the grave. He was seen by over 500 eyewitnesses when he rose from the grave. And he changed history. He impacted the world and his prints are all over the world today. We see the movement of Christianity just continuing to spread. Because of his, not only his amazing life, his unique death, but his resurrection. He's alive. His followers were willing to risk their lives and have been throughout centuries Because we believe that there's more to life than just the here and now. We believe that there surely is a hereafter. There is a resurrection. The the story doesn't finish with Jesus dead. Growing up in the Catholic church as a young Catholic boy, every Sunday when I would go to Catholic church, I would see Jesus up there dead, looking sad on the cross. That's not where he's at now. He went there and we should, we should let the weight of that impact us. But he didn't stay there. He didn't stay in the tomb. He didn't stay in the grave. He got out of the grave and he commissioned his people to continue to carry his mission, to spread that good news. The gospel is good news. Before it's theology to be studied, it's news, good news to be announced. And anybody can retell the story. Anybody can tell the story of what happened to Jesus. And anybody can explain some of the reasons why Jesus died. And we call this evangelism. But when we get the gospel and it changes us and it impacts us, it should ignite in us a passion And a zeal to want to tell the story. And so let me close an application. The first thing, how do we apply this to our lives? What what should we do in response to what Christ has done and what this means for our lives? Let's go back to the very first words from Jesus' mouth in the gospel of Mark. 
And he said, repent and believe the gospel. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The, the Greek word for repent just means change your mind. Change the way you think. Okay, there's a lot of other narratives in the world that people are buying into and agreeing with and philosophies that people are buying into. Philosophies and, and narratives about God and about ourselves and about the world. And Jesus says, change, change your thinking, which should lead to a change of direction. The, the Hebrew word emphasizes more of a, a change of direction when, when it talks about repentance. But both are included. But, but if you're going the wrong way down a one-way street, before you turn around, you make a U-turn, you first have to change your mind. You, you need to realize, okay, I'm going the wrong way and I'm going to get in a wreck. If I don't turn around, I'm going to crash, Right? And so both are necessary. Change your mind, change your direction. And Jesus shows us the direction that we should be walking in. He says he is the way, not just a way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father God except through me, John 14, 6. So change your direction and believe the gospel. Believe the good news. Jesus came bringing good news. Jesus is the good news. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. It's about him. It's about his life. It's about his death and burial and resurrection and all that it means for us. Are you trusting in Jesus and his finished work for you for salvation? Because world religions teaches us, teach us to, to just be good and do good and and, and, and in essence, put trust in yourself and your ability to clean things up and make things right. But the, the gospel implies that we've messed things up so bad that we can't clean things up on our own and act like everything's okay. I didn't do it, Dad. I didn't do it, Mom. We've messed it up. We've messed up our lives. We've messed up our relationships. We can't fix things, but Jesus can and he came to, he came to heal what's broken in us and heal what's broken in the world. And this, it's through these lenses that we see the world and that we see ourselves. We're accepted now. We're forgiven now. We're redeemed now. We're in the family of God now. We're saints now. We're not merely sinners. While it's true that we do sin and we blow it, we are those who've been saved and redeemed. We're forgiven sinners. And we're saints. And so be confident. Here's another application. Be confident that God's goodness is coming your way. God's goodness is coming your way. It's going to chase you down all the days of your life. You can't outrun it. I remember one time I was jogging in East Dallas. And there was this dog barking on a leash and the dog was, and I had my headphones in and, and I saw that leash just break. And I was, and he was coming for me and I knew it. And I just belt, I took off. I started hopping fences. I went into old school mode, started hopping fences. I got away from that dog. But saints, let me tell you this. You can't get away from God's goodness chasing you down no matter how fast 
you run, no matter how great you sin and how great you fall, you can't outrun the goodness of God. He's going to meet you with his goodness. And those of us who are believers in Christ are those who've responded to the goodness of God in repentance. We've believed the good news. We believed in the goodness of God displayed for us in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And it changes us. And it leads us to live lives that reflect his goodness to others. Display his goodness to others. Look at this verse in Romans 8.32. As we try to answer how do we respond to the, the gospel be confident in God's goodness coming your way because Paul said that that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Goodness is coming your way for all eternity, saints. This is what the gospel means. And so we should respond. We should respond in confidence that goodness and mercy is going to chase us down. It's coming our way. And it's not going to stop just wave upon wave upon wave upon wave of goodness coming our way for all eternity. And it's not going to get boring. And it's not going to be dull. We're going to be continually surprised and amazed at the goodness and the grace of God for all eternity. As we live in a world of perfect peace, love, and harmony. The new heavens and the new earth. You see, the gospel gives us hope that it's not, this world's not going to be like this. The, the badness and the evil that we see with the corrupted uh, creation that we're experiencing, a post-Genesis 3 world. The gospel gives us hope that it's not going to be like this forever. When Jesus comes back, he's going to make all things new. That's where we're going in, in 1 Thessalonians for four weeks or five weeks in, in November, Lord willing. We're going we're gonna to hone in on that. We're going to hone in on what it looks like to be impacted by the gospel as the Thessalonians were. And they were an example to other believers. And Paul directed them to put their hope in Jesus' return and confidence that he has been resurrected. And we too will be raised up and re reunited with the saints. And lastly, do all the good that you can. Because Jesus has suffered and died, he's displayed that the greatest expression of goodness in the world he displayed goodness you and i are to respond in doing good paul put it like this after an application of, of his chapter on on the resurrection he said therefore my beloved brothers be steadfast immovable always abounding in the work of the lord knowing that in the lord your labor is not in vain your labor is not in vain why is your labor not in vain? Why is doing all the good that you can do in this world while you're here not in vain? Because there's a resurrection. There's a hereafter. And there's rewards at the resurrection. God's going to reward those who've been good and faithful servants. He says, enter into the joy of your master. Charles or John Wesley said that, do all the good that you can by all the means that you can, in all the ways that you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. May that be us, City Church. May we be those who've been so wrecked by the gospel in the, in the best way, changed and transformed by the gospel, 
that we become conduits of his goodness and grace to a lost and a dying world living in darkness and sin. Can we sing that song we were singing earlier, Oh, Praise the Name? Let's respond. Let's respond with praise. We have just a few minutes here before 12. Let's respond to God with singing praise to his name, praising Jesus, praising the Father for what he's done for us, for the gospel. Let's celebrate like it's Easter morning because Jesus didn't stay on the cross. He's, he's resurrected. He's alive. Though it's Halloween today, let's celebrate like it's Easter. Amen? Because Jesus is alive. And let's go tell somebody. Let's let our light shine. If you're at home tonight and there's trick-or-treaters coming to your door, give them some candy and give them the gospel. Pray for them. Smile. Show them some love. Let your light shine. If you're not going to be at home, come join us at the at the trunk or treat downtown Garland. And let's go tell people the good news. Let's not be ashamed of Jesus and what he's done for us.